Are you a sex worker looking to build a new website or a website redesign? Then you'll want to consider Fox Digital. They did a fantastic job designing my website, Stripped by Sia. If you want your website done, mention that you're a listener of the show at foxdigital.design for 20% off. Tell them I sent you. Welcome back to the episode of Stripped by Sia, your podcast for strippers, sex workers, and all the fancy naked people in between. I am your host, Steph Sia, aka Kim Chini on stage, which you can still catch me here at the Penthouse Nightclub in Vancouver, Canada for another fun week. Please come say hi. Um, I just want to do a quick shout out to Steve, um, all the way, I think from Pennsylvania, you mentioned, who came in and popped in at work and was like, I need to meet you in person. Let's go chat about your show. And I just want to say hello because I know you'll be listening to this episode. So hello and thank you. And thanks for coming to my front row and tipping. That was awesome. Um, besides being a dancer, I have also been a sugar baby many, many years ago. That's kind of how I got my start in the industry. And then I would also say that I'm a digital content creator as well as a cam model on Streamate. So a lot of things in sex work, which has been great. Um, lots of dipping my toes and things as a lot of you sex workers are listening out there know all about. Um, other than that, I just want to do a quick little shout out, welcome announcement. It is season six. It is season six. This is the season six opener. I'm super stoked that we're finally here. I don't even know where the past five seasons went, but it's been over 200 episodes of like weekly recordings doing this since 2019. So I am incredibly just humbled that you are all still with me and listening. So thank you all so very much. I could not have done this without you all. And you guys all keep me motivated to continue to kind of dig deeper, find some new topics and bring some in like very captivating guests on which is a show so again thank you so much for all of your support and speaking of support i just want to go ahead and say hello to the patreon subscribers that we have here that are currently subscribed um you all get a little shout out uh, on this show if you are on tier two or three and higher. Um, so just want to say hello to Snoo Snoo from Germany. We've got Arupa Sarkar from Canada. We've got Jay Sunsern also from Canada. Justin Erickson from the USA. Ted McGuire, not sure where you're from, but hello. Also a longtime listener. Uh, we've got Geyser, brand new there. And we've got Selena Money. Um, Feel free to check it out. It's patreon.com slash stripped by Sia. You can kind of uh, check it out there for some video exclusive content that you cannot find anywhere else. Um, I have all my bonus episodes that are up on there now, including one is that one's going to be on there really soon with my uh, recent feature on iHeartRadio. Um, what else can you expect there? Yeah, you can get um, some access to the episodes early, all that fun stuff, starting as low as $4 a month. So be sure to check it out, patreon.com slash stripped by Sia. I am also on the network Skyhawk After Dark TV, which is a network of other adult industry-related podcasts. we got some video casts as well. A lot of folks that you've listened to uh, in the past have been on my show, and I've been on their shows as well. Um, so if you do like similar content and related to this, feel free to check it out. It's Skyhawk After Dark 
tv.com. And last but not least, I would like to thank our sponsor. We have uh, Fox Digital here, a friend of mine who's also local to Vancouver, Canada. Well, actually, Victoria. But anyways, um, if you're looking for a website to get made or maybe if you wanted to kind of renovate that or kind of revamp that and rejig it a bit, um, Skyhawk – sorry, not Skyhawk. Fox Digital is a great option for you, and he's got great options for you to choose from if you're looking for something that's a bit uh, more low-key, minimal, and affordable, most importantly. And I just want to extend a wonderful discount that Anthony from Fox Digital is – giving to our lovely guests uh, and listeners of the show here. He is giving people 20% off, and that's just for Stripped by Sia listeners. So feel free to reach out to him. His name is Anthony. He's the owner and principal of Fox Digital. So it's foxdigital.design, and tell him I sent you. Okay, so I've managed to get that under four minutes, which is a great, significant improvement from the five minutes that I usually do. And if you're hearing some giggling here in the background, um, this is our season six opener. She's a total powerhouse. She's a content creator herself, but has worn many different hats in the industry, which you'll all learn about very quickly. I'm also going to allow her to give herself her own introduction. But without further ado, I'd love to introduce Marcella Alonzo onto the show. Hello, Marcella. Good late morning to you. Good good af- good morning to you. I am Marcella Alonzo, and I have been around for a very long time. I started in 1995. Um, I got into sex work not for any vanity purposes, but I was a single mother. Um, I had, I got into it. Actually, I was a survival sex worker. I got into stripping first for many, many years. That is how I paid my bills. I was a single parent at a young age, um, was able to, you know, make sure both of my kids had a very good life. My oldest, of course, uh, spent many years in Catholic school because I was trying to <laughs> change, give her the best education and best moral support I can, um, from stripping, I went to dominatrix. I did phone sex. I got on streammate in 2011. Um, I remember uh, I've done everything except for work for professional porn company. Um, I have. I am also currently with the Screen Actors Guild, uh, SAG, as you know it, Union too. That was the only vanilla job, uh, other than selling real estate for a brief, brief period of time, that I could get into. So I have worn many, many hats, and uh, I'm still in sex work as it is. And I do host my own podcast called Get Schooled, where I bring on various sex workers, um, you know, in in different aspects of the sex work and adult entertainment as well to to kind of bring them all together. Because I noticed um, as I entered different type of sex work, there was a pool of people that did not understand each other. So with my podcast, I'm trying to bridge everybody together. So we, you know, because I feel like all sex workers, we're all under the same umbrella, yes. whether you um, have done in-person work, whether you have stripped, whether you've done phone sex, whether you're a porn performer, we are all under the same umbrella. And I want us all to be united and not have any uh, hierarchy as you Yes, I was just going to mention that too, because and I love that you're doing that in terms of like bridging the gap, because there really is a gap I I see a lot of. Oh, yeah. And it's really frustrating to see that, because as you mentioned, for those, and if you're 
first time listener here, you don't know what a, the hierarchy is. It's basically a hierarchy between different forms of sex work. So like, and there's different like hierarchies and different um, triangles. If you want to kind of think about it as like the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, for example, for one example, you can have, let's say like cam girls are at the top because it's all virtual. They don't have any in-person contact and whatnot. Then maybe next down the line might be stripping um, because again, like nothing else like happens beyond the dancing part. And then it kind of goes into like indoor sex work and like a lot of like street uh, survival-based sex work or outdoor sex work that's on the bottom there too. But of course they vary from concept to concept, but really glad that you mentioned that because um, it's really dangerous. Um, it really does a lot of damage to sex workers and to a lot of people that are not in our industry. And um, like, where do you think they get these stereotypes and assumptions from? Like, it's it's so frustrating to to hear that. Mm, well, I remember during the pandemic, I quit seeing people all together. You know, I'm older. And um, before the vaccine came out, I did not even want to leave the house because I could die and I have bad lungs. And I remember I was on Clubhouse and one girl made a comment, well, you're not doing in-person work. And I'm thinking like, hello, it's a pandemic. I'm you know, if, if I catch that vaccine, I'm dead. And then I, I've received also prejudice before from a porn star yeah. because I've never done porn, you know, and I have seen people in person. So I've no, it's very, very weird to me when other sex workers shame other sex workers, because uh, we all basically do the same thing yeah. and we all, yeah. And we're all, everybody's good at certain things or has different comfort levels. Um, I personally never did porn, um, not because it's, I have a lot of good friends that did porn, but um, I remember in 2009, 2010, I knew a lot of people that were with a company called LA Direct, and I just heard horror stories. And and then also um, I got with SAG, Screen Actors Guild, and I was introduced to getting like residuals on TV show and movies. And that was my personal decision of not to do porn because there was no residuals. And, you know, we all have our personal comfort or what we're going to do. And it's not, and I wasn't shamed that I didn't feel, but I just, after hearing horror stories from an agent about an agency and then seeing they don't receive residuals, I was like, ah, this, this just personally is not for me. You know what I'm saying? Some of the best people I know, my best friend, uh, Ava Devine does porn and she's the most beautiful person I know. Uh, and she's a great person. So it's, it, we all just need to do what we're comfortable with in sex work. You never do, it was Nina Hartley that uh, said, never do what you're not comfortable doing in the bedroom. But that also is, if you're not comfortable talking to friends, I mean, talking to fans or stuff like that, you know, maybe doing more cam work might be better for you. If, if you're comfortable seeing people in person, but you don't want your image, okay, maybe full service, you know. Yeah. Or massage work might be good for you. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, you know, you mentioned mention- that. Like, that's really important as well because, like, as I kind of mentioned briefing the show in the beginning, like, I just – and my experience and, like, your experience kind of sounds the same in terms of, like, we kind of dip our toes in a lot of different things. And if you don't like it, then you could dip out, right? Like, it's – yeah. yeah, you don't have to feel – I mean, I'm hoping that there are – I mean, there are situations where people are in this for survival and are obligated to do this type of work. But, like, ultimately, um, the people I bring on the show are people, obviously, that are consenting to do this and are 
are choosing to do this as well. So you mm-hmm. just kind of have to find the right fit for you, which I think is. Right, right. Oh, and I was going to say the first 10 years of me dancing was survival. I feel very blessed. Um, when I started in the business, it was either the track, um, strip clubs, or there was no internet whatsoever. Um, and I felt very blessed to be able, it was either the track, the you know, you would work the services, which had the beepers back in the day and the yellow pages and the strip club. So I felt very blessed that I was able to find a strip club that I could work at, you know, so. And, you know, you read my mind because I was just about to transition and kind of go there. Of course you did. Of course, you know, you're a podcast. You're like, okay, I think we're going here now. (laughs) But yeah, I kind of wanted to know, like, yeah, like, again, talking about those first 10 years of survival sex work, um, because you were a single mom going there and, and starting and also looking back then, because this is what, mid-90s you mentioned that you started? Yeah, I started in 1995. It's a different time back then. Yeah. It's a different time now, right? So, <laughs> I mean, going back to the options you had back then, you said you mentioned there was a track or the strip club. Was there any particular reason why that you want to go to strip club? Like, did you find that that was safer maybe? Or like, what are your thoughts on that? Um, I started in Tampa, Florida. And there was two clubs called Mons Venus in 2001. And (coughs) sorry about that. Um, I knew that I could get cash there. So it was just a matter of me getting hired. And, um... Mons Venus was a great club to work at. 2001 is actually where I started. I actually started at underage at 17 on another club that was kind of far in Tampa, not at those two clubs because they checked IDs at the clubs in Tampa. <laughs> um, and I just walked it again. I was like a single, single teen mom. And um, I, I was trying to work a regular job waitressing and the owner would cut my hours all the time. And it, I couldn't survive and minimum wage at the time was $4 and 25 cents. Yeah. So uh, luckily the clubs hired me and that's how I was able to first pay my rent. And I tried getting other jobs. Oh, I tried so hard and I actually paid for my own college. The majority paid for never got loans, never got grants or no, I tried getting a scholarship when I was working, I actually entered college at 17 and I tried getting a scholarship and my old, um, it was something to show that I was working and my old boss at my vanilla job refused to even sign it. Oh my God. That's freaking yeah. frustrating. I hate to hear about that. Yeah. That's annoying. I mean, yeah. I mean, it was a different time. You were in a sticky situation mm-hmm. to be in. Um, yeah. Also want to hear about like, Talking about getting hired at the club at those times, but also considering you're from Florida too. So there's a lot more uh-huh. like Latin American people there. Um, but was it hard for you to get hired during that time? Cause like in terms of like color, in terms of race. Not- yes. So in two, two thousand, the club was called 2001 Odyssey. I remember, um, I was probably like, I'm five foot four. I was probably 124. I'll never forget it. <laughs> um, so I was a thin girl and they were like, you can't work night shift. You can't work night shift. So I worked mid shift. I was like, okay, 
this works with my daughter. You know, at the time, I think she was two years old or like 18 months or something. I was like, okay, I'll just work this mid shift. And then I'm looking at the people coming in on night and I see like, you know, it's obviously a Caucasian girl and she's heavy. And I'm being told I'm fat at that point. I'm fat. I'm at 124 pounds, five foot four, because I remember my weight at the time and I was skinny and I had a cute little butt. I always had a butt and all that. But um, yeah, I couldn't work nighttime. But then in come the white girls, all different sizes, all different shapes. And I noticed at 2001 Odyssey, all the black girls and all the Spanish girls, and even like there was two Asian girls I worked with, we all seemed to either work day shift or mid shift. In a way, it was a good thing because I did learn to work day shift better. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I have that, like, because of me working earlier hours, I still have that internal hustle forever. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's a different but right away, yeah, right away, I noticed the prejudice um, across the street. The, the owner who I have to say that was one of the best clubs. The owner did make a big thing about weight, any size that you were at. And um, but he was more open to different races, mm-hmm. which was good. You know, he was open to good. So Tampa is about three or four hours north and more centralized than um, Miami. Mm-hmm. And. Back then when I started, it predominantly was a white girl. And I did go, there was other clubs I did try going. I did try going to the dollhouse. They wouldn't even let me in. I think they're still open to this day. Like all the, these top list clubs wouldn't let me in. So I worked, I started off nude where there was no alcohol. And again, like that club, it was hard. It was difficult. Yeah. yeah. That's a different time. But like, I, I mean, and I don't, don't know if you know of anything, but I've also heard stories too, because I'm in a few different dancer groups as well. And there are a lot of Americans mm-hmm. in those groups. Uh, but also like clubs can be very specific on body type. Um, sometimes and as much as we don't want to say it, race is definitely still a thing to this day. Like it's kind of sad to see that. But I mean, yeah, that's kind of how you got your start. It's like, I mean, it's not a bad thing there, but it's a hard lesson to learn. That's for sure. One club I actually, that I sued in Las Vegas that I worked later on in my career, the owner's son came up to me and said, and at the time, for many years, I dyed my hair blonde to fit in. Um, He actually came up to me and I sued the club later on. And I'll say that it's the club Sapphires. Oh, dang. Um, (laughs) Yeah, the owner's son came up to me and said, "You're lucky you're a lighter skinned Latina or you wouldn't be working here." Um, so I've had I've exper- I've I've seen firsthand how prejudiced they are and um you know, as my career went on and I went into different cities, I see how it plays out. How they'll let certain girls, you know, come in. I think at Spearmint Rhino in Vegas, the managers and the bouncers usually used to harass the black um, performers, African-American performers and get them to tip more and threaten them with their job. Fuck off. Yeah. They were, they were really, um, and they, cause they kind of knew like, Oh, they can't work at night. And, and I see, I would see them extort the African-American girls, especially experiment. Right. Yeah, awful, so awful, awful, awful. Yeah. I sued them too. I sued a quite a bit of strip clubs a while back. <laughs> and just cause I, I was, and, and I had friends that were still working like, Oh, don't do that. 
you shouldn't do that. No, I did it for a purpose to stand up for other performers yeah. and to stand up for POC, you know, people of color that are what they're going through, the times they're getting extorted and, you know, what the balancers did or walking in the door. And there was times where you'd have to pay 150 to walk in the door. Which is ridiculous. Oh, my gosh. And, of yes. course, they were probably getting different uh, – the white dancers probably getting some kind of preferential treatment. Oh. Right? Oh. They – that's – I'll never forget that, you know, when I was at 2001, I was told, you can't work, you're heavy. And right away, um, it, it I started dieting and working out, and I was pretty thin. It, it made me have a lifetime – I have a lifetime of taking care of myself because I've been in the adult industry, but – I would see at night these other girls and I'm like, hey, they're bigger than me. And I would say something and I'm like, hey, this isn't right. Yeah. Like, why am I being told I'm fat and out of shape? You know what I'm saying? And and then. Oh, my God. And then they I witness I would also witness in the early days a lot of um, oh, white um, Caucasian performers. Uh, dancers, I should say, because this is back when I was stripping, just get away with murder in the club. Yeah, pickpocketing, stealing, and that's okay. But then the moment somebody, you know what I mean, black or brown does it. Yeah, it's a different kind of story. I mean, going Mm -hmm. along those lines too, it was a different time. And of course, this kind of varies geographically as well, right? Um, I kind of want to talk about like representation. And this doesn't always have to be just in terms of dancing, but also like over the lifetime of your career too. Um seeing people that are also like yourself because i believe you're puerto rican is your background my mother is from puerto rico and i have tejino um uh, which is the indigenous before christopher columbus took over puerto rico Mm -hmm. and then on my father's side is cuban Mm -hmm. so when i trace back my roots predominantly i'm indigenous and from spain cool very cool yeah but like going back to like industry did you see a lot of people that were like yourself starting out or like, or like again, segregated in different areas of the, of the industry or. Um, so when I first started to, like to do porn back when I first, first started, I only saw one face that I could. Um, and, and actually I interviewed her before, Jasmine St. Clair. I'll never forget the time I saw her because she was the closest thing. Um, I think she's Dutch. I don't know exactly what she is, but that was the only person I ever saw like in porn that closely resembled me. I never really noticed anybody else. Um, as thing, you know, my years progress or whatever, then I did notice people like Nina Mercedes and, uh, Kiera, uh, I can't think of her name, Kiera Mia. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm trying to think of who else I recognize that's other. I didn't really see too much, yeah. you know, pretty much. I, I haven't really seen too much. Now I'm so happy that uh, I see beautiful girls like Violet Myers, oh. Kiki Cloud. They look like my daughters. Oh. <laughs> So, and I'm so happy. And then they have long lines like they did at Exotica. But my day, you just, I didn't even want to go there. If I, and that was another big reason why I never entered really porn. Because if I was getting this treatment in the strip clubs, how bad would it be to go on set? Totally, totally. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like, yeah, with porn specifically, like 
again, can cater to a lot of racial stereotypes. Yeah. Yeah. Are we going to go there? Let's go there. (laughs) Yeah, let's go there. (laughs) Yeah. So again, porn, I mean, if you're, if you're on Pornhub or whatever website you want to use, just looking down at the categories there, a lot of it is race-based and even to this day. And like, I know that they use that as like a marketing tactic, right? Clickbait, Mm -hmm. like obviously, but how much does that affect how people view us as as sex workers, as talent and stuff like that? I mean, I'm really curious to hear your kind of take on that too, because going on what you just said here, that statement you made, like if they're, if they're treating me like this in the strip club, how am I going to get treated on set? Am I even going to, is anyone going to have my back? Are you even going to get hired? Like, <laughs> yeah, it, 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 it was the reality. Um, you know, I can say one thing, the the most harassment, although I've received harassment from um, the fans, clients, mm-hmm. and, um, and it's usually when I get fetishized by a white Caucasian person, and I've noticed the same stereotype, um, even talking from other performers or, or, you know, dancers or whatever, usually I get guys that they had like a, they're into the Spanish girl, and then right away they're coming to me and they're like, hola, hola, como esta? <laughs> and they're speaking to me in this broken Spanish. And uh, I had one guy that was, I, could, I wouldn't even say he was a sugar daddy. He was more like a client, but I had to eventually just cut him out because mm-hmm. he was downright disrespectful to me. And um, he would call me and he'd be like, hola, como esta? Hola. And he's try- wants me to speak to him the whole time in Spanish. Well, I was raised here. I was raised in the States. And and it's not very comfortable for me to speak. When I speak Spanish, it's to family members, right? So it's not very comfortable for me to talk dirty in Spanish. And that's what a lot of people don't understand is um, when I'm speaking Spanish, it's amongst with family. It's not like really with friends. Yeah. And for me to talk dirty is the most difficult thing in the world because it's just like psychological. I'm like, that's where, you know what I mean? And I've, I've had it where I've had clients and fans and all that. I'll say like, oh, Poppy or whatever. But, <laughs> you know, when they want you to like talk real dirty on purpose, it's like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I, it, it's, and I, and I thought I was the only one, but then I talked to another, um, a friend of mine. And he happened to say, yeah, it's uncomfortable, too, because I talk to my mom and dad all the time in Spanish. Yeah, yeah, that's a a lot of people don't realize that, that, you know, if you're born in the States, you pretty much went to school in English. You're around English all the time. You know, you only at home and you you definitely in a Spanish household. We sex. We're very. What's the word? We don't really talk about sex and stuff like that. <laughs> you know, we're not going there. We're not. Spanish households aren't so liberal yeah. Uh, yeah. as American households. You you understand. Uh, completely. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's. And also another big thing is there's different type of cultures. You get this because you're Asian. Mm. There's different types of cultures. Yeah. And. We're all not Mexican. We're all not Puerto Rican. We're all not, um, you know, the other countries. And I'm a mix. Yeah. And 
I got a lot of love when I, I, there was 10 wonderful years I was in LA and I got a lot of love in LA from the Mexican community. Um, and they were just wonder, the Mexican community is just wonderful. And I love, um, Mexicans in general. They're the great, some of my best fans are Mexican and they're great and they get it. They understand, but it's always the, uh, gringo Um, (laughs) that is, (laughs) Yeah, like doesn't get it and and will say something that's kind of like off or triggering or like, you know what I mean? Can you wear a sombrero? And I'm yeah. like, uh, yeah, you know, that cringy. Yeah. Cringy. Yeah. <laughs> oh my like, God. I mean, sorry, there's sunshine that's like shining through because I never record this time. I have. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I know exactly what you mean too because like, again, my own experience as well, it, substitute like Ola mm-hmm. and Poppy with like Konnichiwa and I'm not even freaking Japanese, but like, or so they, <laughs> the minute they find out that I'm Filipino, then they like start telling me these stories. Like I used to have a girlfriend in the Philippines or I've been to the Philippines and like they're trying so hard to relate to you. And it's just like giving me the opposite reaction. I'm just like, you're, you're only seeing me as what I'm colored as. And it is very uncomfortable for me to be sitting through a conversation or, I mean, it's not even conversation. They're just talking at you about their experiences with Filipino women. And I'm just like, oh, I hate that. Yeah, it's creepy as fuck. The worst one I ever had, the most creepiest one actually was the time I worked at the Bunny Ranch with Dennis Hoff. And he said the most creepiest thing ever. Um, he said to me, oh, you're Cuban. I like the way how desperate Cuban girls are. When I was in Cuba, there was these 15 year old girls and they basically, they, they had to sleep with me for some candy or something he said to me. And I was just oh like, you are disgusting. Yeah. That was the most disgusting, um, thing I ever heard from anybody. Um, cause like, again, like they bring up where you're from and they make a point of telling you, mm-hmm. you know, um, Oh, you're this. Oh, let me tell you about that. You, yeah. you know what I'm saying? I, so he, he said the most disgusting, vile thing ever, yeah. especially as saying, I love the way how desperate the girls are oh. in Cuba. Like they had to sleep with me for some candy, That's like so and, fucked and, up. and bragging. That's gross. Like, mm-hmm. You can't see my face right now, but my jaw literally dropped right now. And I'm just like, that is mortifying. Yeah. I, I don't even know how yeah. you, you would react or even process that statement. That is so gross. Ugh. I hate he's, that. He's, yeah. 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 He's, it's disgusting, vile, you know. Uh, he was another one that was very prejudiced. I remember going to work yeah, at the Bunny Ranch and put being put all the way and the bad little bunny area, but then I made the most money <laughs> like at that week. <laughs> I was like, wow, the fuck is like, why am I getting the shittiest room? Like I had a good joining bathroom with a girl that got in trouble for drugs. Um, a white girl that got in trouble for drugs. I had to share a bathroom with her and every night she was doing something. But then yet that week I made the most money. Like, and I was like, am I not that pretty? Like, and I didn't really get the calculation, but you know, again, that's how the racism is yeah. for 
And that is like a total, I'm so glad mm-hmm. you just said it, the R word, racism. That is like a complete undertone of these motivations and of why these actions are happening and why you're being subjected to that because it is racist. And, and same thing goes along with the lines of, I mean, maybe it's a bit of a stretch, but like fetishization as well. Like maybe not, maybe not racism, but colonialism, Mm. Yeah, and those being rooted in that, and and again, just like the comments that like Dennis Hoff said too, is so 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 problematic because you know, as you might know, a lot of people of color, including myself, even though I was born here in Canada, have gone through these fetishizy type comments and and clients and just people, and it's just so disturbing to me because. One, you're basing that on a stereotype. Two, you're not even like making any effort to get to know us culturally. But three, why do you only see that? Like, yeah, yeah. I don't know if you have any comments on that, Marcel. <laughs> no, no, I I totally agree with you. I think that's why a lot of I've always been friends. I've always been friends with Asian girls. Like one of my good friends, she's from Laos. My friend Ava Devine, she's half Chinese. We we get it because. We get the how people make the comments to us and we've kind of feel sick. Like all my sex worker friends have generally been, you know, not necessarily Caucasian because we all get it. Mm -hmm. We get it. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? We understand and we don't um, we don't go there with each other and we respect each other's culture and we respect the each person as a friend. Yeah. You know, and as a person first where um you know, I get it. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder, but it, it's for a long time in the nineties, it was a white woman's world and sex work. Mm-hmm. It yeah. was. Yeah. And I love the way things are changing. Mm-hmm. Um, they are changing for a better, but I would like to, you know, I'm, it, it's so nice that I see, like when I go to exotic, I see the biggest lion is Violet Myers. I'm so proud of her. And I, you know, and I'm like, I'm loving that change because it made me realize, like, I am pretty. I am, you know, my look is wanted for a long time. I didn't feel like I was the most prettiest thing. Mm-hmm. Like, what's wrong with me? Why can't I be number one? But it, it's just what society thinks. Yeah, and that was, like, a different time for sure. I mean, there was a lot yeah. of, like, white women and just, like, white people in general that were on the pedestal. And then, of, of course, like, yeah. our experiences as people of color – either get erased or are completely shafted. So Mm -hmm. I'm really glad that, you know, we're seeing a lot more folks of color that are in the industry that are being peppered in the industry and that are also um, getting their time to shine at this moment. Uh, And I'm kind of like, for example, I'm seeing that a lot um, with Asian people, which is really great, not just in mainstream media, but also within the adult industry space as well. And and a, uh, also on in, in top of that too, seeing a lot of like Latin American people as well and, and people really embracing that. So I'm really glad to see that the industry is moving more towards an inclusive type of environment. And I'm not sure, like, yeah. do you even know when that started to shift if, or like when you started to notice that was going to shift? Like, um, when did it start shifting? Um, because I've worked in different areas throughout the United States, I have noticed a trend 
were cert- like California. I when I worked over there, I did uh, bachelor parties and I did strip and California, like different parts of the United States love different things. And California, Los Angeles, especially, they love Latinas and they love brunettes. And I did, I was able to finally be myself over there. However, when I moved to New York, all of a sudden, it was a totally different vibe. And, you know, I didn't get that love anymore that I got like in LA. So I think different parts of United States, like if you dance, like, of course, Miami, they love Latinas, because, you know, down there, I think every I think every race is pretty much does well in Miami, where in other cities, it different things are different but in LA I did feel a lot of love that I never felt anywhere else um New York I don't really feel it so much but I have talked to um a beautiful blonde girl that I've worked with one time at a club recently and she felt like kind of like oh I I wish I was Latin I said honey you're gorgeous you're beautiful I had to tell her and um I had to kind of tell her like what clubs for her to go to because Mm -hmm. to go to her little niche but um I want to, things have slowly changed, but they're not fully changed. Yeah. Um, 100%. And I discovered that when the rise of OnlyFans, mm-hmm. um, during the pandemic, I got on OnlyFans, I think every sex worker primarily did. Yes. And then there was Telegram. And I noticed it was an increase of women that would never, ever get in sex work all of a sudden jumped on. Yeah. They literally like they jumped on where they never did and um, everybody was selling promo. Well, me personally, I can't buy. And then we were doing share for shares and I received, I did receive a lot of prejudice on telegram from white um, content creators, but I noticed that promo buying um, I can't buy. I had to just do my own thing and do what every do different what everybody else is doing because it wasn't working for me. Me buying promo from um, a Caucasian performer um, just didn't do any didn't help my numbers didn't do anything for me at all. And I don't know if that's because it's a scam, but I noticed me going to events like Exotica where I meet fans in person. Mm that helps my numbers way more than any promo or me, you know, doing my podcast, me um, posting every day on various social medias that helps me, you know, helps my growth. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. You know, and I remember so. like those, I remember those groups on telegram shout for shout and oh. retweeting groups and all of that. And honestly, that shit was really exhausting and I don't participate in that anymore either. Well, in 2019 is when I started on Telegram before all the chaotic. And it really was a nice, I was actually in the first OnlyFans group for Share for Share. And it was very beautiful because we were all sharing. We didn't look at color. We didn't look at like, we just, hey, you want to do a Share for Share? You want to do a Share for Share? And then the pandemic hit and the so-called coaches came in that knew nothing about the, you know, they just didn't understand. And I think it's really a personal thing for a woman to put up pictures of herself naked. Mm -hmm. It's, um, and, and I, I feel like a lot of these new sex workers, they started doing things that were hurting existing sex workers, opening their pages for free. Um, you know, they, there was a lot of practices they started sharing or doing just that didn't help. Yeah. And, Right away, I was shunned when I said, hey, you know, like, 
we shouldn't do for show our stuff for free. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah, like, yeah, totally. <laughs> like I've been in business a long time when the club was, the doors are open for free. I didn't make any money when yeah. they charged an admission, I made money. Right. So it's like common sense, but you know, um, that, then I quickly, I said, you know what? I'm not even going to deal with this community. This is like a rat race. Yeah. I'm going to just do me. Yeah, for sure. And yeah. you also mentioned something about like, you know, finding your niche. That's also like really yes. important too, right? Because like, you know, if you're in a right. group, like a shop for shout group or share for share group that is just like all like really skinny, like blonde girls or something, like how is, how are you going to fit into that equation? Like you don't. Right, right, exactly. (laughs) Right, you don't. And so with my Pacific looks, as the telegram started changing and then it just got crazy and toxic Mm. and, um, and it, it, and, and what I personally don't like and I don't believe in is, and I never saw this before till 2020 is sex workers making money off other sex workers. Yeah. And really, really toxic. That's just, it's just toxic. It's toxic. Yeah. yeah. Like a really scammy kind of point, uh, which makes me also yeah. deeply uncomfortable <laughs> as well. But uh, it's yeah. frustrating stuff. Yeah. And so I also wanted yeah. to talk to you about like yeah. the podcast. Yeah, exactly. As well. um, get Schooled, yeah. <laughs> which is an Very amazing podcast as well. So congrats on that. Um, I definitely wanted to um, kind of bring up your experience <laughs> as a person of color podcasting in the adult Thank space, um, what your experience has been like uh, podcasting. I know we were speaking off air earlier a little bit um, in terms of, you know, some adult podcast being really like kind of wanted to hear surface level, maybe just really superficial Um maybe from the male gaze, when you, especially when you have male interviewers and stuff like that, but kind of your take on your experience uh, with that, that so far <laughs> can be a spicy topic. So um, I made Get Schooled because basically I wanted it to be for people that had been in the business for a while. And my big thing was bridging the gaps of the different sex worker world. Um, so when mm-hmm. I entered Telegram, I noticed a lot of people, they never stripped or they never did in-person work or they never did domination. Domination. They never. And but they kind of frowned on other people and you know, when I, when I stripped, you know, that, that was a totally different world. Some strippers, they didn't want to be known. And, you know, then having friends that were porn stars, that's Mm -hmm. a totally different world. So with Get Schooled, I'm trying to showcase all genders, all races, all forms (laughs) of sex workers, the best that I can. (laughs) Cause you, as you know, as a podcaster, like you want certain guests, but you're like, Oh man, I need to get them on. (laughs) So, um, I developed Get Schooled and I I have tried having all different sorts of people. I even had um, uh, Gerard Damiano, who is the son of uh, the director from Deep Throat. I had him on, which was a very good episode because, you know, I really wanted to see how it was being a child of you know, this director in, in the time that he was going. And I try showcasing different aspects of 
sex work by various people. And then I've even done episodes, uh, two, I've done like an episode with uh, Nina Kay and she did an episode about dog training. Cause I, I love seeing sex mm-hmm. workers when they have a different interest and they're passionate about it. I want to kind of showcase them because yeah. I experienced this myself. Like I, I can't go and do certain things because they judge me right away. So I want to give us, would get schooled. I'm trying to yeah. give sex workers a space to showcase a, who they are, not um, glorify sex work, but actually share the reality. So um, a bit, another big thing with me is I don't want to share incomes. I, I feel like some of the stuff that I have seen in the media, even in the past, like when I went to, um, when I went to the bunny ranch, I noticed girls were going there because what he did, he did a lot of PR work to promote that they made all this money. Yeah. When in reality, I could make more money at the strip club than at the brothel. And you know, it, I, I don't like those PR stunts where, you know, girls are announcing, I make 200000 yes. a month. I just feel that it's, it's very misleading to sex workers or people listening in. And it's a lot more detailed. So I, with my podcast, I want to showcase more What's of the real? realities, what we go through, <laughs> what's, you know, whether it be What's real? Yeah. So people can listen. And I'm also just going to do it. I'm not going to like feature it on YouTube because my big thing also is I don't want to encourage anybody underage to get into sex work. Um, That's a very big thing with me because I did start at a young age. I did it for necessity to survive. But, um, you know, I've through the years I have run across girls that, you know, they they could they could do other things and they enter in the sex work and they get involved with addictions and maybe sex work isn't really for Mm -hmm. them, but they think, Hey, I'm going to make all this type of money, but there's a lot to deal with emotionally, mentally. Yes. Oh my gosh. I so many questions. There's so many great things you said there, (laughs) but yes, sensationalism is one thing and that is super freaking problematic. And that goes along with what you're saying about these like clickbaity titles and these PR stunts and stuff too. Like I make this much money on OnlyFans. Um, I see so many of that shit and it's just really stupid. And also like with podcasts too, though, podcasts are definitely not free from this shit either. Mm -hmm. Um, Because like, I feel like you're really um, attracting the wrong type of people to kind of click and listen into that content or consume that content, which makes it really dangerous because you have a lot of these newcomers coming into the industry that have not done their prior research that, you know, maybe are, have just turned 18 that are super fresh, super young and haven't had any life experience and are finding themselves in situations that can be yeah. really, really dangerous. Or again, like giving away shit for free, stuff like that. So, and yes. I find that, like, I've spoke, I've spoken briefly about this on the podcast before, but like stuff with like TikTok, and they have like strip talk, and they're talking about like sex work and stuff there too. But a lot of it is trying to do it for clout um, and trying to do it for clicks and. I appreciate yes. shows like yours, like Get Schooled, and also like obviously the, like a motivation for this show too is to really demonstrate, okay, this is actually not an inflated conversation. This is actually speaking some truth and showcasing some authenticity and also just mm-hmm. being, as we mentioned, very real about the whole thing because – and are kind of – some people don't actually really are like blind in terms of like not really wanting to 
hear the real thing or hear the numbers or whatever it is, like denial, I find. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. A lot of people, they don't. And what I have noticed, there's people, they they fall after the pandemic, they saw some of these articles and they think, oh, I can do this. And they don't know the realities. And the realities is, because I can say this, because as long as I've been, and if somebody comes for me, I'm going to like come for them back. But if Mm. you're in sex work, you will have a difficult time getting into a relationship. Dating is very, very hard. And I, you know, it's not the easiest thing. Also, you get, you do get jaded with men. I think many years of me stripping, I could meet a guy and I could tell you everything about the guy, but right when I met him. So that made that, that little skill in itself made it hard. But when you get into a relationship with somebody, whether you're dating or boyfriend or whatever, it's, it's, it's very hard to find that particular person. So Mm -hmm. once you do get in sex work, it's hard. Then your children, both of my children are adults. My oldest I have to say my oldest is the one that never gave me a hard time about what I did. But my youngest put me through the worst hell in my life. Um, my youngest daughter, who is now 19, she put me through hell. And now she finally realizes as she adult, she's an adult. She's like, mom, now I get it what you had to do. And I'm like, could you, rem- when you were 13, could you appreciate that? So, it, and I didn't, I never worked and like shared stuff with my kids or whatever. It was always um, like, I think my young, when my younger daughter, her paternal aunt, her father's sister told her what I did one day out of like spite and it caused a lot of drama. So, you know, people are saying, oh, I'm going to sit down with my kids and talk to them. Yes, that's good. But you never know when that, you know, envious ex comes and talks to your kids. So yeah. Um, or cause drama or stress. So that's another thing you're going to encounter. I can say one thing. What's helped me with my longevity in my career is not being put on a pedestal because I notice um, all the sex workers through the years, many decades I've been in it, the people that were ever put on a pedestal, like once that their moment of shine was over, they didn't know how to function. And so because I never was put on a pedestal from the beginning, I'm still the same person that I've always been. I'm still having to fight to get on, you know, to do more and to push my brand. I'm still having that fight as we speak to this day. So I feel like that has grounded me and humbled me never being put on a pedestal. So that's really great. And, and akin to what you were saying earlier too, like, you know, with a lot of people like, it, it, it's a really fast industry, really fast moving industry. Mm-hmm. And also what you're saying too, about, you know, sometimes these young girls that get into the industry, assuming that the work is easy or it's like very easy money. Sure. It can be easy money when you're working at it, but then they don't know how to function in like outside of this world, um, which yeah. can be really dangerous. And also like what you were saying too, about the whole dating thing as well, like being really jaded with men or like, I've just seen so many threads in these like groups that I'm in. They're like, there's like, oh, I'm like, why should I go on a date when I can get paid? Uh, where I can get a bag bought for me and blah blah blah, and I'll just end up marrying a sugar daddy. And the, that was literally my attitude before when I was a sugar daddy, uh, when I was a sugar baby, when I first entered the industry, which is a really problematic way of thinking. Um, yeah, brainwashes you. 
Yeah, you do need to find, if you are going to get in a relationship, you do need to find somebody that works just as hard as you do. Um, and that's what I've noticed with any type of relationship I've gone into. But at the end of the day, like when girls say, oh, I want to marry somebody or they need to spend that. That's kind of like BS. You need to be able to find somebody that you can do regular things with. Yeah. You can watch Netflix, that you can go to the movies with that you enjoy their company with. If you're going to be in a relationship, it is kind of um, toxic when girls say that, but I've noticed though, to make it work in any type of relationship in the past, it has to be somebody that is kind of equal to me where they're working just as hard as I do. Um, And they, and then they kind of have to know about sex work and respect you too, as well. And There need to be that understanding because I do see a lot of relationships where girls get with these guys and the next thing you know, they're supporting them a hundred percent and it's, it's, it's just not a good, it's not a good thing at all. But it, it, if a, a relationship is a partnership that you both are like working your butts off and you know what I'm saying? You both are contributing, doing stuff together. Yeah. Contributing. There are couples that I know of that they, that they really do a good job. Like um, where the, the husband's like filming and he's doing mm-hmm. a lot of stuff. And those are really equal relationships. There's not so many of them that I see. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've, you know, you relationships are, you think they're difficult in a vanilla world. <laughs> oh, go be a sex worker. <laughs> go be, Go be a sex worker. Like, and, and I actually joined a swinger site thinking I was going to find a guy that turned into a nightmare. I joined oh, no. a swinger site one time when I was in LA because I thought I would find an open-minded person. I did go to the best parties I ever went to in my life, though. <laughs> I can say that. But I didn't find anybody. I found guys that just wanted to, like, you know, go to different swingers events. Mm-hmm. But... um I I met some really cool couples that gladly took me anywhere and treated me great. But um, I wanted to ultimately find that open-minded partner Mm -hmm. and it's relationships and sex work are very, very difficult, sticky, and not so easy. So you're paying the price for that. And then with family, eventually, it's just not also another thing that I have to say that is vital. If you want for your longevity and, If you're going to be in sex work, you need to be able to do everything sober. Yeah. Yeah. I'm totally with that one. I am totally with that one for sure. I will have a drink or two, yes. But um, luckily, when I started dancing, I had a young daughter. And my big thing was I want to just be able to pick her up from the babysitter. And I I didn't want to dare drink when I had my daughter around. Mm -hmm. Because I, I was, you know, she was my only child at the time. And so because of that, I learned to work sober from the get-go. Right. I didn't drink at all. And I carried that on. And because I was dancing first, first to talk to people, um, those two skills, sobriety and learning to talk to people and communicate and learning talking to everybody, not just standing there waiting for somebody, but learning to talk to everybody. Those two things have lasted throughout my sex worker career and have helped me very much. So with everything. Ending that note with sobriety, yeah, I have to kind of agree with you on that one there. I am completely with you on that. Um, <laughs> I've personally found that it has worked for me. It helps me stay focused a lot better. I'm more in control and I can kind of, I don't know, 
for 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 me it works. I know for some people it doesn't. And again, we'll probably have a future episode on this because it is such a big debate. <laughs> but that's another conversation for another day for sure. But Marcella, before I let you go, where can we all find you? You can go to MarcellaSobella.com or my IG is Marcella Sobella. My Twitter is Marcella with one L underscore L-U-V. And what else do I have? <laughs> I have a Twitter. <laughs> I like, I have so many. I have a YouTube, Marcella Sobella. Yes. And my biggest social media platform actually is Facebook. And that's Marcella Sobella. No way. Yeah. Facebook has been oh, very, no. very good for me. And it's actually another income. I actually... I actually got a, I was, I filed taxes with Meta under, <laughs> so yeah. No way. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's really cool. I, that was so surprising to me. I'm like, wow, that's really, really awesome. Yeah. But um, all these links, if you are interested in connecting with Marcella, it's going to be in the show notes. If you haven't already clicked, please go ahead and give her a follow. Go listen to her podcast, Get Schooled, available on all podcast platforms. And for everyone else listening at home, it is stripped by Sia on all podcast platforms as well. Feel free to give um, me a five-star rating if you're really enjoying the content. It is for free. I have been doing this every single week. Um, and it's all out there, but I would pr- appreciate a five-star review um, if you feel so inclined. And if you do want to be on the show, uh, I do have a website where you can reach out to me on Twitter or Instagram. It's strippedbysia.com. And my handles on Twitter and Instagram are strippedbysia. Please pitch me and not just say that you want to be on the show. I do vet everyone and do a lot of research and stalk people <laughs> for a little bit if people are wanting to come on the show. But that also like really guarantees some good, high-quality content because I just really want to be bringing good people um, onto the show and sharing good information all around. But with that being said, it is new episodes every single Sunday dropping at 12 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. And we'll catch everyone in for another episode next week. Marcella, thank you so much for joining me today and for kicking off Season 6. Cannot wait to have you on again in the future. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, and stop and stop. You're listening to Stripped by Sia, hosted, produced, and edited by Steph Sia. Music by Ted D. Graphic design by Maria Bellandarama, and photography by Ian Davern.